there is no such thing as a Canadian real estate market. Okay, that would be like saying that your head's in the oven and your feet's in the deep freeze, but in the middle, it's a good temperature, right? You're still dead, right? So there's there's no such thing. Real estate is local, okay? And um, and some of the when people start talking generalities, it's it's you know easy and lazy statistics is because that's the easiest numbers to get. So then they paint the whole country with a broad brush, and everybody's under the same boat. Welcome to episode 10 of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. Today we hear from Russell Westcott, an investor and motivator from Western Canada. You'll find that Russell packs 20 years of investment experience into all kinds of interesting sound bites. The highlight of which is a story near the end of the episode called Carrot, Egg, or Coffee Bean. Enjoy. Welcome to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. What's the real power of leverage? People think real estate is all about leveraging capital. Money is important, but what about the decisions we make? The things we do and don't do determine our success as investors. Choices and actions create success. Before we get to the bank, we make choices guided by mindset and by the things we do and don't know. If we want to succeed as investors, we need to leverage knowledge. We need to increase what we know so our actions pay bigger dividends. Join host Terry Schauer and Jean-Philippe Claude for conversations with leading experts in the real estate field. From mortgages to mindset and from macroeconomics to local market trends, grow your knowledge capital with us. Welcome to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast, where we seek advice to help us make better investing decisions. So welcome to episode 10 of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We have with us today, Russell Westcott, who is an investor, a motivator, and uh, someone who has a lot of experience in the real estate industry. He's based in Vancouver, but uh, he's going to tell us about where he invests. And um, so Russell, welcome to the show. Hey, Terry, how's it going today? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Well, we were joking off camera before we got started here that we both have the exact same painting behind us of the the Jacques Cartier bridge there. It's like it's like we should have called each other to, you know, usually you call each other to confirm what you're wearing so you're not wearing the same thing. We should call each other to, to make to sure match our, our background art sure is the art, same. Background art was different. <laughs> there you go. Um, hey, Terry, before we get yeah. rocking and rolling, I, um, I wanted to just uh, say congratulations to you for something. What? Um, what did I, I do? Was watching, I was watching something <laughs> last week that uh, you were on the Everyday Millionaire podcast with Mr. Patrick Francie. It's like, it's like your your royalty here. This is that's a very dubious honor, and, <laughs> and I just wanted to say congratulations. That's that's a huge a huge feather in your cap to get on one of the top rated podcasts in in you know in Canada and, and worldwide audience. So and I think you called him the Joe Rogan of Canada, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, I, mean I, I know Patrick. I know Patrick very well. I work side by side with him for over ten years. Okay, I see that's the connection. Yeah. But like, it, I mean, he is he is really a very gifted interviewer. Like he, you know, I was listening to the interview again, actually yesterday. And like just how he sort of pulls on things and get you going on things that are excited that you're excited about. So he uh, he is very gifted, very calming, very uh, methodical, very, re very driven at the same time. But he actually has a lot of training. If you actually think about look back into it in like training. Um, I'm not trying to make this parallel to the people of his guests, but training horses and just oh, yeah. that calm way of getting a horse. Like when you got a couple thousand pound horse and you want it to do something, you know, he's very calm and very training of very how to lead the horses and things like that. So he's, he is very, he's a very gifted, brilliant, generous man. Okay. Well, good to know. Yeah, so I just wanted to just offer that Thank before you. we get rock and roll. So congratulations. <laughs> Thank yes. you. But today is about you, Russell. <laughs> See, I, I was trying to deflect that first question. I don't like, you know, us, us humble Canadians never like talking about, about ourselves. ourselves. Do we? So, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but we have to, you agreed to this. So let's go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Russell, why don't you tell us who is Russell Westcott? What do you do? And uh, how have you come by what you do? Who who is Russell Westcott? Now there's a deep question. Um, 
You know what? I, I'm I'm actually discovering that every day, trying to trying to figure it out. Like all of us on our journey through this wonderful thing called life, as we, you know, I'm, I'm not going to bust into a Prince song, dearly beloved. We're gathered here today to talk to this thing about life. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so no, uh, interesting question. So so bottom line, I'm you know I'm a husband. I'm a father. Um, I have three amazing kids. I have an amazing wife. I love helping and supporting and coaching. I am Canadian as Canadian gets. And the, for your listeners and your audience, I would imagine most of them are maybe from Quebec. You're probably telling them, well, you ain't from around here, are you, boy? <laughs> uh, the accent is, uh, if there is such a thing as an accent, I'm born and raised in Saskatchewan. Um, I do live in British Columbia, just outside of Vancouver at the moment. Um, I love real estate. I have been a real estate investor. You know, I jokingly say I've been a real estate investor since the turn of the century, which the year 2000. So, <laughs> and I got my, I got really got my started kind of the, the moment for me was that year 2000. And on that year was a milestone birthday I had that year. It's one of those birthdays that has a zero at the end of it, right? I turned 30 that year. And um, you know what? It's, you know, I had a self-diagnosed Peter Pan syndrome. Peter Pan syndrome is that you just never want to grow up. And I decided kind of around that time, as you know, I turned 30, holy moly, I better get my, pardon my language, I better get my stuff together here, right? Because I wasn't, no, I was going places, but I wasn't going anywhere, really, at the same time. And where do you go for answers normally? Well, I went to Oprah. And on on, on Oprah, there was an episode with Mr. Robert Kiyosaki. And Robert Kiyosaki was on there, and he was talking about his book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and talking about the the quadrant. And I was uh, working for a company at the time. Um, Now, you guys, uh, when I mentioned the word Saputo, a lot of people wouldn't understand that, but people from Quebec would know, definitely know Saputo. But out in the western part of Canada, it was under Dairyland at that time. I was in their marketing department and, and uh, you know, wasn't wasn't going anywhere. And I was a job. It was a great paying job. I loved the people. It was amazing. And, and But there was just something lacking. And so after watching Oprah and reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and then uh, going to talk to, you know, the first person I went to go talk to was my mutual fund salesman, my financial planner. And he, he recommended I play the game cash flow game. He recommended I get into and take a look at real estate. And then from there I went into and I went to an event, which led to another event. I met some amazing people. I met a fellow by the name of Don Campbell, who became um, one of my personal mentors for better parties, 13 to 15 years. And I worked side by side with Don for, for many, many years. And I just got the bug and I, you know, what, before I went to that event, I was renting a basement suite with a roommate. And after I jumped into the wonderful world of real estate, I just got the bug and just started buying properties. There was a stretch for like five years where I bought a property a month. I've transacted over 100 places. Today, I'm still sitting on a lot of those properties. A lot of them I wish I did not buy. But you know what? Sometimes uh, hindsight is twenty twenty always. Uh, but at the same time, I've uh, just been grateful for all the experiences and all the things that I do. I'm continually buying and building and investing uh, every day. I look at new properties and new uh, opportunities. I look at managing my portfolio. And one of the things I just started doing within the last probably five years, um, I just been I've been doing a lot of coaching and a lot of consulting and a lot of helping of people. I've just been so blessed with so many people over the life, my lifetime of within real estate. It would be an absolute waste and a shame that I don't share that with other people. So I'm doing a whole bunch of speaking and lives and Facebook uh, posts and YouTube videos and podcasts and just trying to get the word out, sharing everything I know. Okay. So I hope that helps. Yeah, well, that's a great uh, introduction. Um, so if we kind of like backpedal a little bit, uh, I guess like a real estate journey gets in of what I observe separated into like a bunch of different phases. So there's the starting phase when you kind of know you want to do something, but you don't know exactly where to start. Um, then there's like maybe more like an, an intermediate phase when like you've done a couple of properties and maybe there are some things that are holding you back. And then there's kind of, you know, the final phase, I guess, when when people acquire enough knowledge to really kind of be able to 
pick and choose and add to their portfolio as they move on. So that's great. Great framework, actually. Yeah. yeah. And um, so I wonder, like, if you could sort of take us through, um, you know, some of the obstacles that you encountered, maybe at the different turning points in your career, um, just by way of like that people can sort of connect what kind of obstacles they might face at different yep. points. Well, OK, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do two things for that. There's, that's a fantastic question, by the way. Um, I'm going to give you a quick story. And it's always not great when you say, I'm going to tell you a story. Right? But I'm going to tell you a quick story. And then I'm going to give you, your audience a framework of where all the obstacles fit in. And I'm a firm believer in looking at your obstacles is actually a very healthy thing to do in order to really bust through. Because if you actually solve all your obstacles, you actually, there's nothing stopping you. And I would challenge people, if you have no more obstacles, then your goals aren't big enough. Okay. So um, probably the biggest obstacle I faced along the way um, outside of the, you know, the mindset and the me type of thing and my self-worth and the believing that I can do it and the trusting of myself to do the work. But the biggest obstacle um, would have been the money obstacle. And, um, you know, quick story is I was at a, one of those early real estate workshops. You know, we go to all those big giant events and big charismatic people on the stage, you know, going, give me an R, give me an E, give me an A, give me an L, real estate, woo, woo. It's one of those raw, raw, raw real estate's the greatest things on earth. The real estate only goes up in value, never goes down. Everything's wonderful. You buy it today, you make $100,000 next month, and you refinance it and just keep doing it, right? You know, we've all been to one of those. Um, and I was on fire at that event. I was sitting front row and taking all the notes. And all of a sudden, this was out in Western Canada. Somebody walked on stage, sauntered on stage, cowboy boots, Wrangler jeans, big belt buckle, walked up there and says, ladies and gentlemen, I have some good news and I have some bad news. And everybody's going, oh, no, we only want the good news. And he, he, he sat there and he goes, okay, do you want the good news or the bad news? And everybody's like, oh, give us the good news, give us the good news. No, he goes, I'm going to give you the bad news first. Money is required to buy real estate. And then he just stopped. And everybody just went, <sighs> And I felt like somebody kicked me in the stomach. That like, you know, and why did, why did I feel like somebody kicked me in the stomach? Because I had no money, right? Uh, when I looked at my bank statements, the biggest thing I saw was uh, my car payment that went out and my visa bill. Those are the biggest things I saw in my bank statement for, for that. So he waited a little while to so just kind of let that bomb, truth bomb just sit in the audience. And everyone just kind of, the buzz just died. And then he very clearly after that says, but here's the good news. It doesn't have to be your money. So I was going, okay, you can buy real estate by using other people's capital, other people's money. And then I made it my mission to study everything I possibly could about that, surround myself with people that are raising other people's money, people that are finding the capital, because I didn't have any. And I had to, my, my choices were to quit or to figure it out. And I chose to figure it out. I chose to move forward. I chose to want to learn how to do joint ventures. I chose all to learn how the strategies of using other people's capital. And then from there, I had a little bit of success and had a little more success. And then I started teaching it. I started writing books and home studies and publishing books and training it. And this, I'm trying not to toot my own horn here, but I'm probably one of Canada's leading authorities on raising capital and joint ventures in Canada within the real estate space. And only because not that I've done it the most is probably because I've just been doing it the longest and I maybe have the most books and publication and probably have trained the most amount of people in that. So, you know, I ran out of capital, I had no capital and I still, to this day, I ran out of, I ran out of capital and I have no capital, but I figure out a way to raise capital from other people and just keep moving the portfolio forward. So that's the quick story. Now, to the, the framework that I'm going to offer everybody. So if you've got a pen and paper and you are watching this and you are safely listening to this and watching this, I want you to write down the word team, T-E-A-M. Okay, so there's only five obstacles, five obstacles that you will encounter. And if you write down T-E-A-M, so the first obstacle you find out is Math. There's only four letters in team, but I said there was five obstacles, right? <laughs> so the, the fifth obstacle is team. So here are the obstacles. Obstacle number one is time. Obstacle number two is E is for the education. 
Obstacle number three is the A for the attitude mindset. Obstacle number four is for M for money. And then the fifth obstacle is your team. So lack of time, lack of education, lack of attitude, and lack of money and lack of team. Those are the five biggest obstacles. And if you challenge yourself to solving each one of those variables, you will be able to move forward with confidence and velocity. Wow, great answer. I see you've uh, definitely put some thought into the into the methodology. Like I just passed right, you the ball with that question. I just, I just made it up on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> okay, well, you kind of uh, took care of my next question, which was going to be... Oh, sorry, I didn't mean... <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Um, which was really going to be about, uh, you know, how, how as people move through things, because I think we have our own unique journeys and the, the obstacles that we specifically face in, in uh, specific ways. And then there are things that are kind Kind of scalable in terms of you know maybe different people will have different t- challenges but i see that like that model uh, and how did you come up with that like did you learn that somewhere else and then apply it to real estate or is that something that you sort of came up with yourself oh it's it's uh, i made it myself to be honest well, i've maybe built it like is there any unique ideas out there really everything's kind of modeled off something else and then it all comes back to when you go back to oh it's tony robbins okay done <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it, it really comes down to is I've been doing this for 20 years and I've been training real estate investors for a better part of that time. And I just sat down one day and just wrote out what are the, all the obstacles that people are going to encounter? And I just came up with that acronym of TEAM. And then I said, okay, here's my goal is to solve those for everybody, to help provide answers and solutions to each one of those obstacles. And um and you know what, that in and of itself, that team acronym, we could go into an entire um, training program or whatever you want. But I'm going to give you a story. I'm going to share most people um, outside of mindset, and we'll talk about that later. Most people do not ever build a team of people. And that's one of the biggest obstacles is everybody wants to do it themselves. Okay. And I'm going to share a story with you of one of uh, my clients and one of my clients, he was, uh, you know, by all accounts had, when we started working together, he was had 11 places, young, young person in her early thirties, had a wonderful little portfolio, but he had to do it all himself. He couldn't hire out anybody. He couldn't find, you know, any contractors. He had to go sweep the yard and fix the locks and he was doing it all himself. And, and I was, strongly encourage him to find a property management company, find a property manager, find that, find renovation, start building out your team more. But he resisted it and he resisted. And he just said, ah, it's what everybody's counting on me for. Everybody's counting on me for it. And then one, it was like a February, probably about four years ago now, he um, got quite ill and he was literally out of commission for an entire month and almost everything kind of shut down around him because he was not there to do all the work. Then after that, I said, now, are you ready to start building your team? And he said, okay, reluctantly kicking and screaming, he was ready. So by the time then we got property management, we got renovations, we got all the things in place for his team. We got the accounting, the legal, the lawyers. We, we started building out the who's, not the how's. And then once he started doing that, he has now more than tripled his portfolio. I think when I talked to him yesterday, he's adding another 20, which will take him just under 100 properties. And so he's gone from 11 to 100 and he only would have been able to do that is because he bought uh, or bought his time back by building a team. Not only that, he's taking it to the next level. He's getting somebody in to come help cook for the family, somebody that comes into the house to help clean, a personal assistant that takes care of the schedule, like taking it to the complete next level. Uh, Most people watching this will trip over the dollars to save a dime. And uh, that's one of the best things I can encourage people to do is pick up the book, Who Not How, by Dan Sullivan, a wonderful uh, strategic coach out of Toronto, and I, Toronto and Chicago. Um, read Who Not How, and you might look at your real estate investing differently after that. It's Dan Sullivan? Dan Sullivan, yeah, yes. Yeah, I'm just a posting that in the comments. So I see we just have an audience question here um, by uh, Helene Larose, who wants to know what's the difference between attitude and mindset? Or is there a difference there? <laughs> it's the same. But but uh, A for the team acronym, attitude is, is an A word. I usually say attitude slash mindset. I, I consider them the same word synonymous. They're exactly the same thing. 
Okay. But I think that's, uh, you know, that's really like a a great story that you just told. And I think part of it is also like, you know, when you talk about obstacles and the fact that really sometimes the challenges that we encounter are really the best things that can happen to us. And if you really like crash whatever your model is into the wall, sometimes that's exactly the splat that it takes to reevaluate what you're doing and like kind of level up to the next plane. Yeah, yeah. So two 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 things I'm gonna offer you there is sometimes in your mass lies your message. And there's another great quote that says, From rock bottom is where I built my solid foundation. Like honest to goodness, if you've met anybody who's accomplished something great in their life, if they haven't had those pivotal moments in their life, um, they're probably not telling you the whole story. Every person who has accomplished something great has had to overcome something that was almost impossible to overcome at that time. But here's the really cool thing. It's sometimes you need to do the work and put in the effort to prove to people that it can be done because on the other side of that obstacle, there's something beautiful, there's something great, and there's something amazing waiting for you. Great. Oh, you're just so like good with the sound bites. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. So your, your your video and audio editor could just chop here, chop here. What are you doing? There you got there all you your go. got all your little fifteen second Instagram posts. There now. you go. Now you know how it goes. Um, <laughs> so let's uh, change tax a little bit uh, at the risk of um, you know playing uh, amateur economist. Um, there's a lot of stuff circulating on social media now with, uh, you know, the government pumping increasing liquidity into things. Um, the interest rates I think are, you know, on a a bit of an upward trend. Um, what's happening with inflation also, I think there's a bit of a, a discussion as to whether or not we have accurate data. Where do you think if we can talk about a Canadian real estate cycle or, or if you had to give us like your opinion of what's going on right now in the market, what would you, what would you say? Whew, now there's a uh, there could be another entire seven podcast episodes that we can do, but I'll, I'll, I 100 will do my best to um, offer your listeners some incredible value. So the first thing I would say to everybody is there is no such thing as a Canadian real estate market. Okay, that would be like saying that your head's in the oven and your feet's in the deep freeze, but in the middle it's a good temperature. Right, you're still dead. Right, so there's there's no such thing. Real estate is local, okay. And um, and some of the when people start talking generalities, it's it's you know easy and lazy statistics is because that's the easiest numbers to get. So then they paint the whole country with a broad brush, and everybody's under the same boat. Um, here's what I would say: the best way I could describe the market in Canada is um, it's almost like a there's there's um, there's a Goldilocks syndrome. There's it's way too hot, it's way too cold, and there is some actually some good pockets that are just right. Um, for example, way too hot. Many of your people that are probably watching probably know, and if you're investing, you know, within metropolitan Montreal or places like that, you can't find a property. It's. I made a post the other day, and I was joking that finding a good deal is like uh, uh, Homer Simpson in a wetsuit. It's tight. Right. There's there's no supply and there's high demand. So no supply, high demand. What does that mean? The sellers are in control of the pricing. The pricing goes up. Right. Significant. But there are some markets across this country that are actually quite, quite good. There's actually I help some of my clients invest into some of the prairie provinces and you know, fifth largest city in Canada, there's no bidding wars. You can still buy a suited house, brand new construction for about 480,000 bucks that will cash flow five, six, seven, eight hundred bucks a month. There's no lineups. There's no multiple offers. You can get conditions. You can take your time. You can actually get extensions on conditions for financing. You can actually negotiate. You can actually get a builder discount, right? So there's multiple different things. But by and large, I would say on the meter the real estate markets are hot. They are going up at a rapid appreciation value in most markets across this country. That's because of pent-up demand. Canada is a safe haven for people that want to come to when you know the you know what hit the fan about a year ago. Um, what did every what did all the governments tell us to do? To go home. Okay, and as you guys are well aware where you live, you have to go home and you have to be home by what four in the afternoon? Is that what it is now, or something? No, it's nine thirty at night, I, but it's I, bad I, enough. I, yeah, <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. But 
what so what happens when when there's a, a shock in any market? Um, people have a flight to safety. Why do you think toilet paper sales went up? Why do you think craft dinner people want to buy? Why do you think mac and cheese, pastas, comforts, the comforts, people want safety. It's a flight to safety when there's un- unsettledness and turbulence that people want to have safety. So everybody's sitting there and they've been locked up in their houses for a year and they're in a little tiny, maybe an apartment building or something and they're looking around and going oh my goodness i thought this 900 square foot was small a year ago be here for a year it's even getting smaller so now people are starting to maybe cash out of some smaller places in the large cities and they're starting to move out to some of the urban areas and moving out to those urban areas is driving up a lot of the small places uh, around a lot of the larger centers but rapid growth you know on one hand everybody wants rapid appreciation but it, it also is a very slippery slope and a double-edged sword that rapid appreciation without the underlying fundamentals is actually very dangerous and to me the here's my last thing i'm going to say about this the great equalizer that you need to have if you're in a real estate investor is you need cash flow if you're not getting cash flow, you are a speculator, and speculation is okay, but understand it doesn't matter if you buy it, and let's say in three or four years it goes up 150000 bucks. but if you couldn't afford to hold it for three years, it doesn't matter if that place went to $7 million. If you couldn't, hold, if you couldn't afford to hold that place, it doesn't matter what the appreciation is. You need to have cash flow. It's that great X factor to be able to hold the property over a long period of time while you wait for its market to do its thing for the mortgage pay down and also get some cash flow from um, the property as well. So that's my, I guess, a a short and sweet answer to a complex question. Yeah, thank you. I think that's some really good advice. Um, I actually had uh, another guest on maybe, uh, you know, three, four months ago, uh, who's a financial planner in the US, uh, Jonathan Dio. And he made a very nice distinction there between investing and speculating. And absolutely, it's most people right now are speculators, they're not investors. Now, don't get me wrong, you know, God bless you, right? If you but, but don't don't mix them up. Now, now, speculation is only way speculation is, is a is a promise of something that may happen in the future, maybe. And the, the odds are it's probably going to with housing, with lumber prices, with input costs, with immigration, with tight supply and demand. Now, that's the, the odds are it probably is going to go up. But that is speculation because it's only on a future. If you have something, a shockwave that hits, that maybe in the next little while, um, the government decides that it's going to throw, and, and I have, they're going to throw more. Um, uh, oh, geez, I've lost. They just actually just proposed it again. Oh, the new, capital gains, the capital gains tax. Is that what you're talking about? Well, let's say the yeah. capital gains yeah. tax, or maybe they put new uh, restrictions on, oh, the qualification rates that you have to qualify for. Maybe even if rates go up again, what do you think that's going to do to the market, right? It, when you have no cash flow as a real estate investor, you have no margin for error. And when you have no margin for error, all it takes is one little hiccup, one little, you know, pardon my language, one little fart in the marketplace, and it can come down pretty quickly. But if you have cash flow, if you have margin, if you have that built in, you can absorb a rental decrease, you can absorb maybe a rental increase, you can absorb deferred maintenance that something, if something explodes in the house that you got to fix it, you can absorb all those things, then you can have afford the luxury of the time to wait for the appreciation and the pay down on the mortgage to kick in and then you'll be laughing. Yeah, thank you. I think that's really very good advice. Um, well, that that comes from uh, twenty years of experience, and it also comes from somebody who's been through those things. Like you know, you, somebody, some people in Ontario, oh, go the whole market's growing up. I go sit down. Let me tell you, I, I've been through a market that went up one year twenty one percent, the next year twenty eight percent, the year after that fifty eight percent. Okay. Um, I've been through those. I know exactly what happens. I've seen all the mistakes I made during that time of I lowered my standard of investment criteria. I normalized negative cash flow. I made excuses for it. I refinanced a whole bunch of other properties to help my wife quit her job. I did all these things that were a mistake. And then all of a sudden the market turned. Okay. And the market turned and, and then rents dropped. Values dropped. 
couldn't refinance anymore. I'm stuck. I have a whole bunch of properties and I doubled my portfolio at a peak of a marketplace. I doubled my portfolio and I still have some of those places today that I cannot sell for what I bought them for. And that's a long, and that's been 12 years in some cases or longer. And that's a long time to, to, to try to absorb all that. And it is, it's more struggle than most people need. Right now, don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you that's what's going to happen to each of your marketplaces. But if I had bought properties that had greater margins for cash flow, I wouldn't care if the values had gone down. I still got the cash flow to be able to absorb it, to weight it. But if you don't have the cash flow, every dollar you're making somewhere else from your job or everything like that, it comes out of your pocket from your right pocket to your left pocket to feed a portfolio of alligators and then you don't like real estate too much anymore and there's been a couple times over the last decade i've had to fall back in love with my real estate uh many many times is because when you see the money going out the door it's it's hard to stomach sometimes yeah i think that's a, a you know a, a great comment and i think also i mean what's interesting is that you know people have a because our, our windows as professional investors right like I think the average real estate cycle is something like 18 years. And so for someone who's been in the business for, you know, 15 years, it seems like a long time, but it's possible that in that time you've only observed linear growth going in one direction. And we haven't actually experienced, you know, like, like people like myself, I've never, Montreal didn't used to be as nearly as hot as it was, but it was kind of plateauing for a while. And then things have gone up in the last, whatever, four or five years. But before yeah. that, we really never had a crash. We really never had a moment when prices went backwards since I've been investing in whatever, 2007 and eight. You yeah. know? Well, I've, I've arguably had in the market I, I mean, I've had two recessions in probably the last 13, 14 years. And, um, and I believe it's come out of it now that it's finally has, has turned the corner. Um, but here's another thing for many of you to consider now. Think about this for a second as well. Now, I'm not 100% up on my rental um, landlord-tenant laws in Ontario, I mean, in, in Quebec, but you would be an expert on this. But if let's say you buy a property that has uh, break-even cash flow today, and one of your things you say, well, I'll just make sure I just raise the rents. I just keep raising rents. And over time, and then, okay, do you guys have rent control in Quebec? Yeah, yeah, like major, so, serious rent control. <laughs> okay, so what's yeah. the opportunity for you to raise your rents? It's it's not there. Now, what if a tenant stops paying? Can you evict them? You can, okay. In Ontario, you can't potentially. They've 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 have a moratorium on evictions right now. Um, they and, and some people are sitting there going, "Is somebody if they stop paying rents, it could take up to a year to eighteen months to evict them?" Right. What happens at the end of a fixed term lease out in Quebec, Terry? What happens uh, there? Is it who, who's the, who's in control of if you continue or not? Uh, the tenant. <laughs> that's is that is, I think that's a danger oh, to it's me. A big danger. Personally. No, it's a, I mean it's a big danger, but like that's those are the market conditions under which we operate yeah. here, right? So. I, but but understand that if you have no cash flow margin now, and at the end of the tenancy, and it's a bad tenant, you want to get rid of them. They're in control if they keep going or not. And bad tenants typically cause damage, right? So, for example, um, I invest in Alberta, where on a fixed-term lease, it's the landlord's decision at the end if you want to renew. We don't have a rent control. Now, I don't tell people to do this, but if you have to get somebody out and you take over a bad tenant, there's no rent control. You could raise your rent $7,000 if the, with the proper notice, and either the tenant has to accept it or they have to leave. Okay, um, there are and potentially within evictions. Now, I might get my terming terminology wrong or timing wrong a little bit because that's why I have property managers. But from non-payment of rent, potentially in like three weeks, you could have a hearing in front of one of the tribunals in Alberta to file and get an eviction order against that person within within a month. Right. So you can get people out if they're stopping to pay and things like that. And you, you're in control as the landlord. Now, you know, it's it's don't get me wrong. It's still quite heavily skewed towards the tenants, but it's it's more a little more. It's one of the most favorable jurisdictions in the in the country. Um, I've heard rumors on some of my clients say that um, some of the Atlantic provinces, maybe New Brunswick or Nova Scotia, are fairly good for landlord and tenant laws as well. But I, I'm very familiar with Alberta, and it's one of the it's it's 
one of the most friendliest places to do business as a rental housing provider. Mm-hmm. But so, so let me ask you this, because I mean, I, I had a, a question in here about, uh, you know, sort of what your favorite favorite market markets are. Um, so I'm hearing that you have a bit of a, uh, seem to have a, a, a preferral for Alberta. Like, do you want to sort of take us through how that happened? Because you come, I mean, you come from Saskatchewan, you live in BC. How did that market get on your radar? Well, here, here's the thing. Um, um, so when I first started, I was living in, in uh, Burnaby, British Columbia, 5858 Woodsworth Avenue renting a basement suite with a roommate, right? Um, and when I first got the bug, um, I started learning about real estate. I started learning how to analyze properties, you know, certain metrics to look for, cash flow analyzers, you know, 1% rules, all these kind of things. So I said, okay, well, let's just start taking a look in Burnaby. And every property looked at it, well, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. So I was sitting there and I was like, Terry, I'm going to make an analogy here. I was pulling my hair out. <laughs> and and yeah, and I know that's not a good one for podcasts, but but uh, I have no hair. Okay, so uh, I and I couldn't find anything. I just could not find anything that just really made sense. And then I was at an event, and somebody was on stage was sharing this report on top places to invest, and Alberta and Edmonton was number one. I said, you know what? I'm not finding anything in where I live. I was on a plane out the next week out to Edmonton. Um, I was seeing some of the opportunities and the price points and the rental rates, and there's no land transfer taxes, and there's uh, no rent controls, and it's open and friendly for business. And then some of the numbers I was just seeing, it just made sense. Like I was able to buy at a price point and rent it out, and I was getting cash flow. And then there was a time frame where there was some extreme rapid appreciation in the marketplace too. No different than, you know, where you guys are seeing out, out your way, there's some very rapid appreciation. And if I had learned my lesson, I probably would have sold at that time and then rebought them like four years later. And then I, I, things would be a lot different. But so now I firmly believe that marketplace has gone through that cycle of a bottom. And it is finally starting to see it's trending up. You know, no different. I I just pulled some of my stats up in my market um, in Edmonton, where I invest houses, year over year growth just hit 14% again. And we haven't seen those numbers uh, for a long time. It's been flat at best that we had 14%. And the the one that's really of interest is um, inventory levels are now down to 2014 levels and sales. I think March sales in Edmonton, hit the highest one month total ever, right? Ever for one month. Either it was the month of March ever or all months ever, meaning inventory is slowly starting to evaporate. Sales are starting to go up and now the price is starting to go up. But the beautiful thing is, is I'm still able to buy at a price point where I'm buying a brand new construction suited house for under 500,000 bucks and I'm getting anywhere between four and $600 cash flow on those kind of properties right from day one on a brand new construction property that is got fantastic materials that is high end, that is uh, under warranty, that is easy to manage and attracts fantastic tenants. Hmm. Okay. And so you invest mostly in single family homes? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. It's I've actually created a I'm creating a little what I call a hybrid model where we have a we had a zoning bylaw change in our city where you're able to take and I'll, I'll I might get some of the terminology wrong because I know we call these things different, but I believe you guys call them semis out out your way where and we call them side by side duplexes where you put a house and a house beside each other. They just change the zoning that you can now put suites into those properties. Okay, and what you potentially could do is where you have, say, where there was one piece of land, you potentially could put a side by side with suites. Essentially, you got a fourplex. Okay, and we're getting those for roughly about eight hundred ninety thousand dollars, brand new, and they're rented out for about sixty five hundred bucks a month. Okay, and then what you can do is if you have the right piece of land, you can actually play Lego and you can start stacking those things together. Like if you have a big enough piece of land, you could stack, you can do them front to back, you can do them sides, you can do them up to, you know, two, four, six, up to eight. And I, my business mall partner and I, who lives in the area, we're actually finding, trying to find some land positions where we can go all the way up to 64 type of suites all in one. And it's almost like playing Lego. 
where you just modular kind of plump these things together and you build these really cool little uh, a little multifamily of single family properties each are individually titled you get residential financing and if you ever need to peel one off for whatever reason you didn't have to sell all 16 of them you just sell one of them right or you eventually let's say you buy you put 16 in a row and then uh, after a period of time maybe appreciation you sell maybe eight of them you take the profits from the eight and you pay off the remaining eight you got a, a portfolio of free and clear properties mm-hmm. right so there's lots of just fun things that I'm looking to do and it's all around new construction properties and it's all around providing fantastic rental stock for really good tenants um, one of the biggest lessons I learned the hard way was I went and bought properties based upon how cheap they were and based upon a pro forma number and cheap properties on a piece of pit that look good on a piece of paper attract terrible tenants and the tenants I've embarrassing to say I've had multiple reports of gunfire not to say anything wrong with people with guns but there's been gunfire in my units there's I think I've had a couple murders in a couple air times, um, I've just I've had enough of having um, cheap properties in bad areas. That I would much rather have fewer, but have higher quality and have a better ownership experience with some better tenants. Okay. Um, and so, like, if we, you know, get into the business model a little bit, like what, uh, you know, I do mostly multifamily. And I think uh, in our investors club, uh, the, the the model that uh, we work on is really uh, kind of a multifamily model, partly because of the, you know, the financing criteria that at a certain point, as you move out of the residential financing game, you're able to accumulate more property because they're not looking at your individual debt ratios anymore. Um, So maybe you want to just tell us a little bit how your business model works, because I think, you know, everybody, if we could all buy triplexes and fourplexes in Montreal, that's, that's kind of the, you know, uh, sometimes you can get some good deals on those, but everybody then runs out of, of, of borrowing capacity. Yeah, so so 100% what I would just describe that business model can work in a commercial lending environment as well. Um, we have an amazing mortgage broker that can bundle up those properties. It Usually you have to determine that before the land gets registered and the titles get divided out. Usually you do it at a pre-built stage. You determine wh- how you're going to do it. But you potentially could put all those properties under one title and get a commercial loan on it. 100%. Uh, but then you do lose a little bit of flexibility about it being able to have um, uh, peel a unit off if you have to sell one. You have to then either um, sever them down the road or get a partial, dis- a partial discharge notice and get new mortgages. And you have to, it's just a little bit more costly. Okay. But you 100% can do that from a lending standpoint is put them all under a commercial, a commercial lending arrangement. And then, you know, typically with commercial lending, typically you are paying fees right you're paying probably a little bit of a higher interest rate you are everybody in commercial lending has their handout if you will and the the, the numbers are a lot bigger in appraisals and environmentals and all those kind of things and you know by going residential you typically get a little you're getting higher loan to values you're getting lower rates and you're also getting no fees but at the end of the day, what I tell people is sometimes it's not the cost of the money. It's actually the accessibility of the money. It's having the capability to get the money. And then I often at this time, I tell a little joke is what's the difference between a one and a half percent mortgage and a four and a half percent mortgage? You can get the four and a half percent one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So, anyways, I joke and I okay. digress. Okay, but, but that's uh, a really there's good. There's another sound, but there's another soundbite. Another soundbite, yeah. But that's a really good tip. <laughs> I, I'm going to uh, get on the phone to my mortgage broker when we get off this uh, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have another um, audience question here, um, which I think we covered a little bit before. You know, in your comments about how to how to take care of your time, but maybe you want to speak specifically to this. When is a good time to hire management? Um, do you want the cheeky answer or do you want a good, a Let's good, have prep? Both. yes, yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, no, I, I'm uh, so in my, I, I can only tell from my lenses, the lenses that I look at is I hired a management company from day one because I just knew that I wasn't going to be the manager. 
And I just knew that wasn't my skill set. That wasn't what I wanted to do. And no, I, you know, first of all, bless all the property managers out there. Sometimes I wouldn't wish it upon, I, I, that's why I'm looking at you, Terry. <laughs> I wouldn't wish it on sometimes my worst enemies, sometimes. Um, and thank you. Bless you for all the hard work that you do. I'm just not equipped to handle that. And I probably, I, I'm just not built to be able to, ha I don't have the patience for it in some respects. Um, and I just probably wouldn't do it. And I would have quit real estate a long time ago if I had to do all my own management. And I actually had the stupid idea once about, well, maybe I'll just get my wife to do it. Cream can just do this. And, you know, it, the divorce would be more costly than what a manager would be, right? Um, so so everybody's case is unique. Um, and in some cases, there is no viable management companies available. Like, really, there's no good ones available. And, and here's a quick story I'll share with one of my clients. Um, smaller area, Thunder Bay. Um, he was sitting there and he wanted to double his portfolio from 40 to 80 units. I said, okay, what are all the pinch points? Pinch points came down to management, came down to renovations, came down to maintenance, all that kind of stuff. Okay, go interview all the management companies in town. He came back and said, I can't find any. There's none of them that would meet the criteria. Okay, so do you quit or what do you do? He goes, what do you mean? I go, here's what you're going to do is you're going to make your own management company. You're going to hire your people. You're going to hire the right people. You're going to put your own system in place. You have a great self-management system, but you just can't handle it anymore, right, personally. So you're going to start hiring the right people. You're going to hire the bookkeeper. You're going to hire the, the leasing agents. You're going to do it your way, and then you're going to start getting people that are as frustrated with you, or I mean frustrated in the market. They're going to start hiring you, and now you've built yourself a management company. And then from the management company came a renovation company and came a maintenance company. And then he's now going to be probably adding a mortgage company. And he's also a realtor. Now he's going to be 100% vertically integrated as a one-stop shop for real estate investors. Right? So if there is no viable option, make your own. Right? Build your own if it's not good. But I have a feeling there are some options wherever people live. Sometimes people just have to get over the expectations of um, the management. And, and you know, it'll never be as good as you probably would do yourself. I say that on one side, but I also look at it myself as I don't want to learn all those things on the management side. I don't want to learn all the ins and outs of the, I don't want to read the Residential Tenancy Act. I want to understand it. I want to know about it as the business owner. I don't want to know every line item on it. I want to know who I can go to who's the expert, who's taken the time to build their team, who puts their accounting people in place, who has their hand in there. I don't want to take the time to do that. Right. So I'm glad to pay 10% of my gross rents to somebody who does that amazing service for me. Right. So it's it's all about the building of the team, who not how. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's a great point. And I think, you know, what I observe as I look at people who have uh, you know begun to have success in the industry is really that like don't want to say everyone has their unique hat because there are not that many hats, but if there are, you know, five or six angles that people have. Uh, some people are, are good with construction. Like, it, you know, what you said about property management, that could be me talking about construction. Like, obviously, yep. I know enough to be able to have an intelligent conversation with the plumber. But like, I am never going to be a builder or like somebody who does strips and renovates because it's just I don't like it. You know, I don't yeah. I, 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 I it gets me really flustered. Whereas like have me like deal with tenants. It's it's fine. I, I totally have the patience for that. So yeah. Yeah, I, I joke with my wife all the time as um, sometimes it's a good thing to be totally useless at something, yeah. right? Meaning I'm when it comes up, my wife won't even allow me. To, I have a little spot in the garage. Maybe I can pretend to go do something handy in the garage. But anytime I ever have to try to do something around the house, Crane just uh, are you sure you don't want to hire somebody for that one, Russ? I go, what are you saying, honey? Because <laughs> Because I'm just not good at and and know thyself, yeah. right? And I'm totally fine to bring somebody in because then I have my own other strengths, right? My my skill set and the lane that I swim in is to go out and you know do what we're doing right now is to have a wonderful, inspiring conversation to an audience of people to going out to your podcast to get people excited about real estate to maybe get get people too excited about maybe a project or two or something that maybe I said you got inspired about maybe you want to take the next step and then. And my job is to attract some eyeballs and attention onto the business 
and then I bring from eyeballs and attention. Capital comes from that. And then I have a great business partner who's a fantastic business operator and just finds deals. Like he, he's out there sniffing dirt today, probably finding good land positions for this. And that's his job is to be the operator, to find the opportunities, to get the, all the con- connections in place. My job is to find people, um, find the capital, find um, the money partners to potentially come in. And that's what my lane is. And, mm-hmm. and we're t- I'm totally okay with that. Like some days, if I don't know how to, I don't know how many f- feet of tape and mud and stuff like that, and what coat of paint and CC 401 Sherwin-Williams coat. I don't know any of that stuff, right? That's not my job. Right. And if it was my job, my places would look a lot worse than they do. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, But so we kind of alluded earlier in the show that uh, we were going to have a little conversation about mindset. So I think this might be the, you know, the opportunity. I know you like have a bunch of material on mindset. Um, I don't know if there's any way to kind of condense that. But if you had to pick out maybe one or two or three major points that you think um, are key to as a mindset to succeed in real estate, or maybe it's wider than that. I don't know. Why don't you yep. tell us what you think? Well, the number one thing I'm going to say about mindset is um, do as much work on the mindset and your um, soul set and who you are inside as you do on the tactical side of learning how to do real estate. Um, you know, we can all sit there and after a while you can learn how to analyze a property and put together a cash flow analyzer and how do you put the bank application in. You could put all those things in and you could figure out all that tactical step by step. Two people sitting in the exact same space, learning the exact same tactical steps to learn the exact same thing. But one of them excels and one just kind of stuck, stays where they are. I guarantee the person that has excelled is the person that has worked on their mindset more. I call it the great equalizer. It's the X factor. It's that it that just nobody can put their finger on it. The person that takes the time to do the work, to put in the reps, to train themselves, to figure out how they show up powerfully in each situation. The person that does more of that work will excel than a person of equal tactical how-to knowledge. It is that great separator, if you will, of the between between people. And I know in some cases, in some cultures, you know, having some people excel ahead of other people is not is not looked upon very favorably. But uh, it's life, and that's the way I think life is. Is sometimes people that put in the work and do do that and achieve great things get more things to come to them. Okay, if somebody has not done the work or not invested into a coach or some training or the programs or listening to the podcast, listen to amazing podcasts like this, if you haven't done the work, you can't complain about the results you don't have. Right. So it's just it's all about um, pay as uh, and I'm going to use a here's a soundbite for you. Um, Give as much attention to your mindset and training your mindset as you would give the priority of diarrhea. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Sorry for that uh, that very graphic comment. There, oh, that's definitely gonna be the snippet at the start of the show. <laughs> well, I tell you what, you could you could definitely remember that one, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, what priority are you going to give that? Yeah, there ain't nothing more important, is there? <laughs> Um, but so, if if we get into specifics, so I think I mean I I obviously agree with what you're saying. Um, but if like we were get to get into specifics, like what could I do? Um, to optimize or what have you done to optimize your mindset for success? Okay. So I I believe your mindset will strengthen based upon the confidence you generate. And how do you generate more confidence is by honoring your word and doing the things you're going to do. So what do I mean by all that? If every day you sat down and you write out five things, five things that you're going to do today. And I did, I do this every single day. I did it this morning, right? I have my planner, my high-performance planner. I use the one by Brendan Bouchard. It's a fantastic resource. Um, Every day, I will write out five things that I must get done today that build up to what my quarterly goals are, which then builds up into my 12-month goals, which then leads into my five- and 25-year visions of what I want to have for my life. So I am completely 
vertically aligned from my daily actions right up to my vision, my core values, and my vision board of what I want to do. And today, my goal is to just knock those five things off. And I'm not going to stop until I get it done. Now, am I perfect every day? Not even close, okay? But I have more days that I win than lose. And if you start stacking more days where you check those five things off every day and you start winning the day and you win tomorrow and you win the next day and you win more days than you lose, then you have a successful week. You start stacking weeks where you just start building those weeks upon each other. You now have a, a fantastic month. You start stacking months of daily five things you need to do on top of each other and you start getting that confidence and that momentum. And in a year, two, three years from now, you won't even recognize yourself. So the practical thing that I would get people to do, and this is simple, but sometimes the simple things to do are the simple things not to do. If every day, one of the first things you do in the morning is write down five things that you must get done. Now, I'm not talking about pick, taking the trash out, and I'm not talking about you know buying this or whatever. I'm not talking to errands. I'm talking five needle-moving activities that will move you closer to your goals, and your job is you're not going to sleep until you check those five things off. If you incorporate that one habit and you just follow through it, you will be unstoppable. Your confidence will go through the roof, and then now you start getting a stronger, lo and behold, by accident, you now have a stronger mindset, right, by just doing the work on a daily basis. Okay. Yeah, I think there's um, like two really great points in there. The the first one being this kind of vertical alignment. Um, I actually have like a, a, a planner as well that like I started using. Uh, it's actually maybe been two years now that I use it. Um, and it really makes such a difference to, you know, break everything into actionable steps and then have it be coherent with matching the horizon with the little things that you do every day. Because yep. it's not where your eye is on the horizon that makes the difference. It's the little things that you do or don't do every day that end up accumulating to make the life that you have. And yep, I think that's absolutely. that's just something that like, you know, if we tend to keep our eyes too focused on the horizon, we just forget that it's really those little habits of stuff you do, what you put in your mouth every yep. single day is ends up, you know, reflecting the numbers on the scale, right? Absolutely. And it's just, it's just an exercise I do with most of all my coaching clients to start off with. We start off with a vision board and then we get core values and then we get out to a core intention saying, and then we break down three and 12 month goals. And then we break out quarterly objectives. And then we break out what I call my next telephone polls, which is just kind of a story that I have of it's a Terry Fox story. Just how are you going to run across the country? One telephone pole at a time. And then you identify your next telephone polls and then every single day you have to write something in your book and you have to be held accountable to daily activity, which lines right up to your vision board. Yeah. Okay. So, Thank you. So look, I see we're getting sort of to the end of our time slot. I wonder if there's any uh, concluding words, anything that I might've missed, any great tip that I didn't uh, get a chance to ask you, feed you the right question for? Yeah, I know. So, so first of all, Terry, thank you. Um, thank you for putting this uh, community together. Thank you for for amazing leadership that you provide to your community of uh, of helping real estate investors. We, you know, I think we need to celebrate entrepreneurs and we need to celebrate real estate investors because this journey is tough. It is really tough, and we need to support each other, not tear each other down. So, if there are some people that are on the group that, if you are watching this, please jump in. Please say high five, Terry. Thank you, Terry amazing work Terry just just give some love okay first and foremost um, I'm going to end off with a little you know maybe a little fable or a little story with you um, and I think this is something that will drive home a lot of the points we talk about is you can choose how you show up it is a choice so choose wildly every day now there was this young little boy that was sitting in the kitchen one day and this you know he was sitting there with his with his mom and he was, uh, he was having a hard time. This boy, you know, he's, you know, mid-teens, about to become a man. And he was asking his mom, and he goes, Mom, you know, I'm having a hard time. You know, girlfriend broke up. I'm just having a hard time with this. Job's not good. Everything's just, I, you know, lockdowns. I'm just, I'm just having a hard time. Life is really tough right now. And the mother says, looks at that and goes, go grab me three pots. Put some water in three pots. She took the three pots of water, put them on the stove and brought them to a boil. 
Okay. Um, okay. Now go to the, the fridge and I, and I want you to grab me three things. I want you to grab me some carrots. I want you to grab me some eggs and I want you to grab me some coffee beans. Okay, so there, through the carrots in one pot, boiling water, through the eggs in the other pot, the boiling water, and through some coffee beans in the in the third pot. And after they boiled and stuff like that, they pulled all of them off, and the mother said to the son, "Now, take out the carrots, take out the eggs, and take you know, and the, there's liquid in the last one. What do you see? Well, I don't know. Uh, this first one, the carrots." They went in, yeah, they were hard. Now they're all mushy. They're soft. So when they went into something boiling water, they got soft. What happened to the egg? The egg went in soft in the inside and the shell, it came out hard. You know, it's got a hard cracked shell. What about the third pot, the coffee bean? Oh, man. Yeah, there, let me pour a cup of coffee. Pour a cup of coffee. Oh, coffee. I got my cup right here, right? The coffee is amazing. So each one of those, the carrot, the egg, and the coffee bean, each had the exact same stimulus, boiling water. One went in hard, came out soft. One went in soft, came out hard. The third one, the coffee bean, changed the environment it was in. So you have a choice every day, ladies and gentlemen. You can be a carrot, an egg, or a coffee bean. Choose wisely, and I'm help, I hope this serving of some strong coffee was very helpful for you here today. <laughs> Thank you, Russell. <laughs> um, and I got my cup here. We'll toast to a cup of coffee. <laughs> sounds good. Um, so uh, just tell our audience members if they want to find you, get in touch with you, uh, follow what you do. What's the best way? Um, the simplest way would be just Google my name, Russell Westcott. And when you start typing in Russell West, I'm not Russell Westbrook. You'll get the joke when you do see that. Um, I'm Russell Westcott. If you just Google my name, the best place would be just to my website, which is russellwestcott.com. It's got where my podcast is. It's got all my blog articles. It's got all my training, the things that I do. And if you're ever interested in maybe having a in conversation about investment opportunities, there's a big giant consultation button on there it's at the moment it's still free until i get too swamped with things um it's still free but if you want to book a consultation i i free up 45 minutes of my calendar and we just have a wonderful conversation about how i can help you move forward that's the easiest way okay well great thank you russell so much for agreeing to be on the show and i really expect that our listeners will have gotten some uh some sound bites and some wisdom packaged in there along <laughs> well, with they'll, the uh... probably never forget the diarrhea comment no i won't <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Russell, thank you so much. Have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Talking to Russell is always a lot of fun. And make sure to look him up on Google or on social media because he has all kinds of great sound bits and great information that's available for free on his YouTube channel or through his blog. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, remember to give us a rating. Leave a comment, subscribe, and share. You can find Terry at terryshower.com. Her book, Mindful Landlord, is available on Amazon. You can also follow her on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. JP is the president of the Real Estate Investors Club. You can learn more about the club's networking and educational activities on Facebook by searching for Real Estate Investors Club. Look to the show notes to find information on our guests and links to material mentioned in the episode.